Welcome to On the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on major developments happening across the region. My name is Amrin Zaman and I'm a senior correspondent for Al Monitor. And this week's guest is Arzu Yilmaz, a visiting scholar at Hamburg University and a leading expert on the Kurds, who's done extensive fieldwork in Turkey, Iraq and Syria. Before moving to Germany, Arzu was the chair of the Department of International Relations at the American University of Kurdistan in the Hook, where she taught for seven years. She's contributed to numerous academic publications and has written a book on Kurdish refugees. Arzu and I will be discussing the impact of Turkey's ever-expanding military footprint in Iraq. So welcome to the show, Arzu. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Amberin. Over the weekend, Turkey launched yet another military operation in Iraqi Kurdistan against the Kurdistan Workers' Party or the PKK. The number of Turkish military operations in Iraq seem to be increasing all the time. Turkey likes to publicize them, despite the fact that they're hugely destabilizing for Iraqi Kurdistan. However, it said almost nothing about a recent attack on Turkish forces in Bashika, a northeast of Mosul. That attack is widely believed to have been carried out by Iranian-backed popular mobilization units, or the Hashti Shabi. Uh, tensions are also brewing between Turkey and Iran in the majority Yazidi region of Sinjar or Shingal, where the PKK and Iran-backed militias have a tactical alliance. And Turkey keeps threatening to mount a major attack against the PKK in Sinjar. So are Turkey and Iran on the brink of some kind of confrontation in Iraq? And if so, why? First of all, I think it will make sense to remember uh, uh, the dimensions which has caused a policy shift in Turkey's foreign policy in Iraq, which they to the 1990s. Because if we can't understand uh, what has happened since 1990s, then I don't uh, think that we can have a, a better understanding about the things taking place today. So uh, given that, uh, uh, I first of all would like to underline that I don't agree with the, um, uh, with the uh, analyze, uh, analysis um, indicating Turkey's policy as a security-based policy. Because in my point of view, uh, since the 1990s, yes, keeping pressure on the PKK has always been Turkey's primary priority. And given that, yes, it has been a security-based policy, but at the same time, playing a leadership role in the Middle East in the context of the new world order has also been another important dimension of Turkey's policy in Iraq. And in that sense, a security-based approach has developed hand-in-hand hand with expansionist aspirations to this day. Given the recent developments uh, on the field, I think uh, there is a kind of consensus between Iran and Turkey because uh, um, Iran has already gained huge advantages in Iraq, which seems irreversible to me not only in South, but since 2017, in Iran is also the dominant actor in disputed areas. And in turn, 
Turkey seems uh, that uh, Turkey is allowed to move free in military terms in Kurdish populated north and disputed areas seems to be the red line for Turkey. And that's, uh, I think the attack uh, on uh, Bashika or the tensions in Shingal simply gives signal to Turkey that the disputed areas is a red line for you. You have a free hand in Kurdish populated North because at the end of the day, this helps the ill-fated, let's say, <laughs> efforts for reconstruction of Iraq, which is uh, based on centralization of power because Turkish military operations are obviously en enhancing such efforts and Baghdad's claim to take control over northern borders or border gates. Ultimately, where Iran and Turkey certainly agree in Iraq is that the Kurds should never become independent. And we saw that come into extremely sharp relief during the referendum in 2017. And so at the end of the day, would you say that that's what really keeps Turkey and Iran in uh, agreement over Iraq, that that's the baseline? This is, this is what I see in Iraq. I mean, when you see what's taking place on the ground, you know, Turkey, for instance, uh, since the military operations, uh, uh, Turkey uh, implementing since 2018, it gained uh, uh, space on the ground like 60 kilometers deep in Iraq. So if we also consider the disengagement of overall, you know, this, if we also consider the disengagement of the US from the Middle East as a whole, but particularly from Iraq, then what can explain such a, 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 such a picture? As of today, uh, you may also know that the number of Turkish troops is more than the number of American troops in Iraq. So how- Put a number on that? Uh, uh, it is supposed to be not less than 5,000. Unfortunately, we don't have any official data, uh, uh, you know, um, about the number of troops of Turkey. But it is, uh, if we depend on, for instance, Binali Yildirim's statement a couple of years ago, and consider the other military bases uh, Turkey have built up in last two years' time, it should be more than 5,000. So Binali Yildirim is a former prime minister, by yes, the way. Yes, former Binali. prime minister. If I'm not mistaken, in 2018, he said uh, Turkey has... Uh, uh, you know, uh, like 2,500 troops in Iraq. And in that statement, he said they decided to double the number of the troops, which means 5,000. But afterwards, uh, Turkey built new military bases then, which helps me to claim that it sh the number should be more than 5,000. So Shingal as part of disputed areas for sure, Turkey will be in pursuit of 
controlling uh, uh, Shingai, but I don't think uh, it would be uh, possible. Shingai is important for all parts, basically because of its geographical location. Whoever controls Shingal would have an upper hand, not only in Iraq, but also in Syria. For instance, security of both Rojava and Bashur could not be guaranteed without Peshmerga or guerrilla presence in Shingal. This is actually what I have heard from the prominent military officials in the KRG and Northeast Syria. On Can the I just jump in and explain that Rojava is um, Syrian Kurdistan and yeah. Bashur is Iraqi Kurdistan. In terms of trade routes, particularly Rabia Gate, for instance, is another dimension which makes Shingal important. And finally, flow of oil. For instance, 25% of Iraqi oil flows through Kerkuk Jehan pipeline. Imagine reconstruction of Kerkuk Banyas, which goes through Iraq, Syria to Mediterranean. This would inevitably risk the significance of Kerkuk Jehan pipeline. So Turkey's interest in Shingal is not merely security uh, 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 because of its security concern uh, regarding the PKK's presence, but also uh, uh, because of controlling both sides of Shingal, uh, which means Syria and Iraq. But Turkey's stated reason for, you know, wanting to conduct a military operation in Sinjar is the PKK, the PKK presence there. The PKK has been there since 2014, since it intervened to help rescue the Yazidis from the Islamic State. And they've never left, that's what Turkey says. And it also says that Sinjar is a sort of logistic um, pathway between Kandil and, and, and Rojava. Uh, do you agree that uh, Sinjar is of great significance for the PKK in terms of being able to maintain its connectivity between uh, Kandil at the very eastern extreme on the Iranian border with Syria. I think so. And this is why I gave you an example of my interviews with the military officials, uh, uh, um, you know, saying that the security of Shingal is uh, uh, crucial for the security of uh, uh, Northeast Syria and the security of the KRG. So for sure, it's also a connection logistically. Uh, it's uh, also an important uh, connection point between uh, Kandil and uh, between uh, uh, the Syria, Syria, Kurdistan and so forth. We should not ignore Turkey's aggressive expansionist policy. And within this context, it is also important to point out uh, how Turkey instrumentalizes uh, the Kurdish case as a whole, both in Iraq and Syria, uh, uh, to pave the way for its uh, um, you know, expansion in the Middle East and today, for instance, in Shingai. 
Given the importance of Sinjar to Iran, particularly in terms of enabling its access to Syria, wouldn't the United States support Turkish actions against the PKK and by extension against Iranian-backed militias in Sinjar? In other words, wouldn't the United States support a Turkish military operation in Sinjar? This is not clear yet. This is also very much related with United States policy in Syria, because uh, letting Turkey to um, conduct a military operation in Shingal would inevitably give an upper hand uh, to Turkey in uh, north of Syria also. And we are not still sure about uh, uh, the uh, US policy uh, concerning north of, uh, northeast Syria. And I think this is also very much related with Turkey-US relations, regardless what happens on the ground in Iraq. Because as you know, you know, and you also follow uh, the um, Turkey and there are very serious structural conflicts, problems between US and Turkey. If you follow uh, the rationale you have raised, then uh, uh, US would also uh, pave the way for Turkish incursion in Kirkuk, you know, or in other Mosul, for instance. We know, uh, for instance, in 2017, Turkey was so much keen to be a part of the operation against ISIS in Mosul, but it was rejected. And for instance, I remember I was in Iraqi Kurdistan when Hajdi Shabi took the control over Tel Afer. Turkey was so angry, but uh, United States rejected uh, Turkey's involvement. So why wouldn't it be true for Shingai? I mean, this uh, US policy concerning Iraq, uh, concerning Iran in Iraq is not just black and white. There are too much gray areas. So Shingal is one of them. So if we go back to Turkey's ongoing military operations against the PKK in Iraqi Kurdistan and more recently in Syria, we see that the PKK is under more pressure than it's ever been, particularly because of Turkish drones, which have reversed the balance of power in Libya and helped Azerbaijan defeat Armenia and Nagorno-Karabakh. So can Turkey defeat the PKK militarily now? Is that realistic? Actually, it is not easy to answer this question because PKK's, um, you know, um, presence or uh, fate is not limited with Turkey's, uh, um, you know, military operations. Turkey has uh, won such military um, victories against PKK many times in past, but uh, it couldn't, at the end of the day, defeat the PKK. PKK reformed and reconstructed itself again and again, and has succeeded to uh, keep vivid uh, for 40 years in the Middle East. But in terms of Turkey's policy uh, uh, towards the PKK, I would also like to underline Turkey's very 
uh, comprehensive, uh, uh, you know, military operation. It is not limited with the air strike strikes or ground operations in Iraq. For instance, in last three years, Turkey deliberately uh, um, targeted potential leadership cadres of the PKK in last three years time. And one by one killed those potential PKK leaders uh, in, in uh, you know, assassinated actually, assassination of some uh, very um, important profiles, you know, some important significant uh, persons, fighters in the PKK. On the other hand, as you know, what happens in Turkey in terms of the uh, HDP and so forth. On the other hand, in Rojava, uh, you know, even European Parliament uh, um, in its last report pointed out that what Turkey is doing um, in uh, Afrin particularly or in uh, Gresipi and Tel Abyad is a kind of is is is, a, is actually an ethnic cleansing, so uh, this is quite a comprehensive policy, not limited uh, merely with uh, military attacks. This is happening in front of the eyes of all stakeholders, and simply put, no one seems have any objection to that. But would it, at the end of the day, help Turkey uh, uh, to defeat the PKK? I don't think so. Depending on uh, uh, the historical background, uh, I don't think, yes, of course, PKK has, uh, Turkey succeeded in weakening PKK to some extent, but erasing, you know, as Turkey's uh, claims, uh, I don't think that would be possible. Well, that was a fascinating discussion, Arzu. Thank you so very much for being on this show. And we look forward to hosting you again in the future. Thank you, Amberi. I'm Ben Kaspit, Al Monitor veteran columnist reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I'm glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders, and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. So this brings us to the end of this week's edition of On the Middle East. I look forward to being back with another amazing guest in the coming weeks. Thank you and goodbye.